Hey, y'all, and welcome to In Kaylin Color. I'm your host, Kendra, and I'm here to tell you all about true black crime. I want to bring the light, the unheard, and push down stories of black serial killers, lesser known murderers, and true tales of crime scene cleanup. The danger in ignoring black victims and perpetrators is not only in the devaluation of black life, but also in ignoring systematic oppression that makes black people more vulnerable to violent crime and less likely to receive justice. I'm not saying let's celebrate black crime, but let's just bring some light to it and let the people know what's really happening. True crime is horrible. Luckily, I'm not. Here we go. These are their stories. back for episode number four of in killing color we're just gonna get right to it because i'm not doing all the extra stuff today so let's get to it (laughs) alton coleman was born in 1955 in waukegan illinois and he is the third of five siblings his mother who was a prostitute She had three jobs, basically threw him in a garbage can when he was an infant. But his grandmother took him out of the trash can. And the tea about that is his grandmother actually lived in the same house as his mother. So his mother went, put him in the trash. His grandma took him back out and brought him back in the same house. According to Robert Evans, a minister who knew him from birth, Alton was raised in a very bad environment marked by rejection from his family, drugs, prostitution and sexual abuse. He was reportedly involved in group sex and get this bestiality. Now, y'all know what bestiality means, right? So if we in Illinois, it could be dog, could be goat, could be cow, horse. I don't know. But he was involved in bestiality with both his mama and his grandmother. So the lady that rescued him from the trash can was doing the same shit that his mama was doing. Mm. his grandmother also made him kill and dismember animals as part of her voodoo practices among his peers he was usually teased and called pissy (laughs) because he normally wet his pants which I'm sure is a trauma response at this point because if you're dealing with bestiality and abuse from your mama and your grandmama yeah I mean hey You get upset, you're going to piss on yourself. That just is what it is. He turned to delinquency, obviously, early in his life. He joined a local gang and eventually dropped out of high school in the ninth grade. And he never held more than a quick, occasional job. So on December 27, 1973, at 18, Alton committed his first known sexual offense. He was an accomplice, him, well, sorry, him and an accomplice, abducted 54-year-old Eleanor McIntyre at gunpoint, They raped her and stole her money and her car. Okay. Money, car, stole, rape. A 54-year-old lady, which I'm sure was probably younger than his mom, but whatever. Through several plea deals, Coleman was only convicted of the robbery and spent time at the Joliet Penitentiary. 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 
What am I talking about penitentiary? Child. <laughs> so he paroled out in late 1976 and he was again put on trial for raping 17 year old Sherry Patterson. But he was acquitted when he managed to convince the jury that the act was consensual. While in pretrial detention, the Lake County jail in the Lake County jail, sorry, he was charged with sexually assaulting three fellow male prisoners. All right. Rewind. Skip, 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 skip. While he was in pretrial detention at Lake County Jail, he was charged with sexually assaulting three men, but was only convicted of battery. I don't know. I don't know how that makes. No, it doesn't make any fucking sense, but none of this shit makes sense anyway. In 1980, he was again acquitted on charges of raping 22 year old Dorothy Hawkins, which was a member of the U.S. Navy. In 1981, he was involved in a sexual assault of an underage girl and may have himself raped a 14-year-old friend of homegirl. So he raped her, then he raped her homegirl. So by 22, uh, he was doing a lot, like a lot. So the case against him was dismissed for lack of probable cause. I probably should get my uh, political homegirl online because I need to know what that means for sure. Like if he raped her, what's the probable cause? Probable, I don't know. Y'all message me and tell me about probable cause because at this point, I don't really know. I don't know what that's giving. So in 1982, he was a suspect in the rape murder of a 15 year old girl. In July of 1983, he was charged with twice molesting his own eight year old niece, Melinda Snow. And his um, Snow's mom was the one who basically brought the charges against him. Again, that case was dismissed. How are all these fucking cases getting dismissed? Like, at this point, I didn't even go back and count it. That seems like four, three, four, five people, men in jail. I ain't count the three men in jail. So, <laughs> child, I don't know. On February 28th, 1984, in Chicago, Coleman raped at knife point, 14-year-old Shalandra Thompson, whose mom, Dorothea, he had tried to get up with two days before. He was arrested for this and arraigned on May 30th, shortly before embarking on this huge crime spree with somebody we're going to talk about next, which I'll talk about in a minute. On May 29th, he was going by an alias named Robert Knight. He approached a lady named Juanita Wheat in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and abducted her daughter, nine-year-old Vernita. Make sure you remember that name, nine-year-old Vernita. The latter was possibly raped and strangled by him in an abandoned building in Waukegan during the early morning of his court appearance. <laughs> I'm not trying to laugh, but this motherfucker raped somebody before he was going to court. This was May 30th. So on May 31st, he went to court. He befriended somebody named Robert Carpenter, who stayed at his house. And on June the 1st, borrowed, he borrowed Robert's car. He never came back. Vernita's badly decomposed body was found on June the 19th, 1984, one day after the beginning of the killing spree of him and the other person I'm going to talk about. You know, uh, Robert Alton, whatever, this motherfucker was doing a lot. And it's like a lot from the beginning, just like a lot, a lot, a lot. So you can't sit here and be like, 
it's almost like a nature versus nurture thing. He didn't have the nurture and his nature was obviously that from the beginning because he was discarded like trash. So I guess he feels like maybe everybody else could be trash. I don't know. But whatever it was, Alton was a crazy motherfucker, boy. I'll tell you that. Next, let's talk about Deborah. Deborah Brown was born in 1962 in Waukegan, and she was one of 11 siblings. On the opposite side of Alton, she was from a stable background and she had no prior criminal record. And she first met Alton in 1983. But at the time, she was engaged to another man. So Alton either got TLD or he got a good mouthpiece. And I don't know if you know what TLD means, but I'm not going to tell you, but you can figure it out. What should I tell you? TLD, the long dick. It's something. He's giving something. (laughs) He's giving something to make these people, this girl, just leave her husband, leave her fiance and be like, girl, I'm gone. I'm going to say, I'm going to figure out because Alton was kind of cute too, but that's another story. (laughs) Eventually she decided to leave her man and move in with Coleman and his family and provide health care for Coleman's grandmother, the one who was abusing him because she was sickly. So in 84, Deborah was 21 years old. She became involved in a master slave relationship with habitual killer and rapist Alton. And the two went on a massive killing, raping, and torture spree across the Midwest. (sighs) Y'all, this massive, massive killing, torture spree, master-slave relationship. I mean, hey, I'm not against master-slave. Like, you like what you like, but like. Master probably not going to ask you to kill nobody. So that's not really master slave. That's like you do what the fuck I tell you to do or your ass getting put in the trash can next. Okay. Anyway, as soon as the FBI agents started investigating the kidnapping of Vernita, remember Vernita from before, um, they realized that Coleman had crossed state lines with that same little girl and a federal warrant was issued for him for kidnapping. And then there was a second one, an, an issue issued. issue this time for murder after they found her body Alton went into hiding shortly after that after appearing in court for raping Shalandra Thompson we talked about her earlier and he moved to Indiana with Deborah so on June 18th in Gary Indiana if y'all ever been to Gary Indiana it's giving (laughs) Gary Indiana look it up it's it's a wild boy it's a wild place right there the couple approached seven, 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 seven-year-old Tamika Turks and nine-year-old Annie Hilliard as they were running an errand for their parents. With a quick little story, the two were brought to a secluded wooded area and they were tied up. When Tamika started crying, she was stomped on by Alton, carried away, and left for dead. Annie was then forced to perform oral sex on Alton and Brown and then she was raped when the two heard Tamika moaning from the woods they went to her found her strangled her with a belt left her there they attempted to do the same thing with Annie but Annie survived and was found by somebody just randomly driving by on June 19th uh, the couple 
they posed as somebody named Phil and Pam from Boston. They befriended Donna Williams, who was 25. That evening, Williams was reported missing. Her friends last saw her leaving church to pick up her new friends. Folk can't even go to church without getting kidnapped. Like, this is very stressful. Like, Alton and Deborah was, <laughs> they was on some shit. Like, they was on some shit. But on June 26, Donna's car was found in Detroit containing Coleman's fingerprints and a fake ID belonging to Deborah. The badly decomposed body of Williams was found eventually on July the 11th. So let's go back. She was missing on the 26th of June and they found her body on July the 11th inside an abandoned building where her car was like parked outside randomly. She had been strangled and they couldn't determine whether she had been sexually abused or not. But at which point she was dead, big dead. And that was terrible. On June the 24th, the duo kidnapped at knife point 28 year old lady from Detroit. They didn't give her name. They kidnapped her in front of her home and they demanded her to take them to Ohio. The driver intentionally crashed the car into a parked truck and she ran away. So she got away. But four days later, on June the 28th, the two invaded the residence of Palmer and Marge Jones. Jones. They were 62 and 59. The couple was beaten, robbed, and their car was stolen. So I would say they got away good because they ain't damn die, which is a shame that they had to even go through that just because. On July the 2nd, they went to a house of somebody in Detroit that was a 55-year-old person named Marion Gaston, the companion of someone that they were friends with before. Her name was Mary Billups. She was 55 as well. Both Gaston and Billups were tied up, gagged, and beaten with a wrench. They stole her car, and they then moved to Ohio. So, they are on the goddamn move, okay? They on the move. On July the 5th in Toledo, they met and were invited to the home of Reverend Ernie Jackson. They learned the address of a single woman who had been visiting them. Her name was Virginia Temple. On July 6th, Coleman and Brown went to the house where Virginia lived with her five kids. They had dinner with them. And then during the night or the early morning of July the 7th, the two forced Virginia and Rochelle in a basement, beat and strangled them, and then placed their bodies inside of a crawl space. Again, it couldn't be determined whether or not they had sexually assaulted either of them. But later on, it was pretty much confirmed that Rochelle surely was beaten and raped because they found bleeding from her private area. The house was also robbed of all clothing and jewelry. After July the 11th, discovery of Donna Williams' body back in Detroit, Coleman was placed on the FBI's most wanted list, and he was number 11. The very same day of those same murders, those two entered into the back of Frank and Dorothy Duvendak, I think I said that right. I hope I did. They were 77 and 73, bound them, gagged them with paper, and then stole money in a car. Didn't say whether or not they were killed, but they got robbed and their car got stolen too. So at this point, they've stolen like, what, five, six cars? Like, girl. <laughs> hope y'all got some driver's license, child, because y'all clear all these state lines with all these goddamn cars. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. Anyway. <laughs> On July the 12th in Cincinnati, 
15-year-old Tony Story was reported missing by her parents. She was last seen the day before in the company of a black man and woman. Obviously, they were later identified as Deborah and Alton. On July 19th, the badly decomposed body of Story was discovered in an apartment building. Of course, she had been strangled. But while the state of the body did not make it possible to figure out whether or not she was raped, later forensic evidence showed that obviously it was Coleman and Brown. On July the 19th, they went into the house of Harry and Marlene, 45 and 44, saying they wanted to purchase a camper that the couple had out up for sale, you know, using that good old, like we do these days, Craigslist scam. Oh, you want to buy something? Yeah, we're going to come to the house and buy it. When the couple's 19-year-old daughter came in the house, she found the house ransacked. Her parents were bound, gagged, and beaten in the basement. Marlene later died from multiple blunt force injuries in the head with crowbars, pliers, and the dad, Harry, was still kind of semi-conscious, but he was able to identify whoever had done this stuff to him. Now, I probably should have did like a pull together, but at this point, I can't even remember how many people they've robbed, killed, beat, raped, like starting at like age 11 like this is this is a lot like he's barely like 25 and you out here you get into it and I don't know I'm not a psychologist but it's like girl what you got going on like you need to get your shit together because it's doing a lot right now okay on July the 16th they both were named with an abduction for somebody named Thomas Harris who was a 33 year old chemical worker from Lexington, Kentucky, in a motel parking lot. They never showed up to pick up the money when they were supposed to get it with a ransom from the wife. So eventually, um, his body was found, but he was still alive in the trunk. So his body was found. He was alive. Thank God. But it was um, abandoned in Dayton, Ohio. So just as the police had expected, they were now getting back to their comfort zone. They were going back to the location that they were used to because they had been out of state, out of pocket. So they got to get back to what's comfortable for them. So in Dayton, Ohio, on July 17th, Coleman and Brown visited Reverend Millard Gray, who was 79, and his wife, Catherine. They were 70. She was 77. They had hosted them. They let them stay with them prior to while they were in Toledo pretending to be Pam and Phil. When Reverend told him who they when he came with them, it's like, hey, I know who y'all are. Y'all got to stop the shit. They fought and the Reverend was beat up. The couple then got tied up. And they tried to like choke and suffocate Catherine, but it didn't work. So they then took some money and again, took their car. So now we're on car like number eight, I think. I don't know. I'm going to go back to it and put it on my Instagram because girl, y'all getting everybody's cars. I wonder what kind of cars they were too. Like it was like the eighties, seventies, a Tercel, or maybe it was like a, a Buick. Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme with the rag top. <laughs> Who? A Park Avenue. Y'all, I'm sorry. That was highly out of pocket. But it, I, I, these are the type of things I want to know. Like, what kind of car was it? Like, anyway. So, before they left with their stuff, Coleman tried one more time to kill Catherine because he, he ended up shooting her, but the gun malfunctioned. So... They found clothing 
belonging to Virginia on the scene. So that was from somewhere else. So on July 19th, the lifeless body of Eugene Scott, 79, was found in a ditch outside Indianapolis. He had been shot and stabbed repeatedly. Mm. Scott's car was later found parked near the location where Brown and Coleman were arrested. So this is like all within like a month. Like it's giving three and a half weeks. And y'all are getting busy. They're getting busy out here. So on July 20th, they were both finally arrested in Mason Park, Illinois, following a tip off by a motorist who had recognized them from the neighborhood back at home in Waukegan. So when the police officers came, they surrendered without incidents and provided two aliases. There was a loaded revolver found in Brown's purse while Coleman had a steak knife <laughs> hidden in his boots. I wonder what kind of boots they were. I wonder if it was like cowboy boots or was they like Timberlands, Lugs. I don't think they were Lugs. I don't think Lugs was out back then. <laughs> it's giving cowboy boot or those little pilgrim steppers that everybody be talking about. You know, you know the ones the girls used to wear with the flat. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> you play too much. I'm over here trying not to laugh and you play. <laughs> okay, so they were eventually identified through their fingerprints, and Coleman was tried in Ohio, Indiana, and Illinois and was sentenced to death alongside several years of imprisonment. Uh, four times for the murder of Marlene Walters, one time for the murder of Tony Story, one for the murder of Tamika Turks, and one for the kidnap murder of Vernita Wheat. So that's only a few, but based on what I just said, there was, it was giving way more people than that, but I guess you can only body information, DNA, blah, blah, blah. During the course of his trial in Ohio and Illinois, Coleman acted as his own lawyer and got to the point of calling Deborah as a rebuttal witness in his own case. He personally cross-examined her in an attempt to make it look like she was the one who actually murdered Marlene Walters, not him. Needless to say, that shit did not work. On her own, Deborah received two death sentences in Ohio and Indiana for her role in the deaths of Walters and Turks. In 1989, her Ohio death sentence was commuted to life by Governor Richard Celeste, who is obviously he was a known death penalty unsupporter opponent, unsupporter opponent, not unsupporter. Due to her mental diagnosed disability. In 1991, her sentence was similarly commuted to just 60 years, which combined with the other sentences makes 140 years total. Both were sentenced to 20 years for the interstate abduction of Olene Carmichael. Coleman, in the end, was executed by lethal injection on April 22, 2002. It just seems like that. It seems like when I read these, it's like way closer than what it was. But this was what What are years that I say? 80. So he was on death row till 2002. Like, why y'all be doing that? Why y'all like sentence people to death and you leave them on death row for 20, 30 years? Like the motherfuckers about to die anyway. Like knock them niggas off early and let's go. Like why he got to sit up in jail and look crazy? And get stories wrote about him and get to be in jail like, yeah, I killed everybody. Dog, uh, cool story, but you need to die because that's what we said. But wasting taxpayers' money 
keeping these people in jail because they get more coins for the death penalty. But, you know, whatever. He was sentenced to death or, well, sorry, he was executed by lethal injection at the Southern Southern Erectional. Girl. Southern Ohio Correctional Facility. And they said his last words were Psalms 23. Does anybody know what that is? I'm just going to give you a quick. I'm not going to say it all because I don't feel like doing all that. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Skip, skip, skip. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Big dog. (laughs) Big dog. You not going to the pearly gates. Okay. You're not going. You're not going to the pearly gates. And that's a big fact. Swear to God, you killed like 12 motherfucking people. You're not going to the pearly gates. You are directly down there with everybody else. Shit, you might be in purgatory. I don't fucking know. But I know where you ain't. Because that Psalms ain't going to save your soul at the last minute. Forgiveness or not, I don't care what none of that shit say. You're not getting saved for doing all that. And you was old people, kids. Nah, dog. You're going to suffer for that forever anyway brown deborah is actually still currently incarcerated in dayton ohio she expressed remorse for her crimes and apologized to the family's video to the families in a video in 2005 it seemed pretty clear that coleman was the dominant personality of the duo and that was what prompted the whole interstate rampage when he stressed when he was stressed to the court that everything just came unbearable to him his background rap sheets, his fantasies of sexual domination and controlling other people. Because like many other serial rapists, this is what made him feel good and satisfy him in his life. And satisfaction he certainly didn't get from his personal accomplishments or relationships or his family. The fact that most of his violence was directed against other blacks spoke of the essentially sexual nature of his crimes rather than the general rage against society which was also there, but showed up later, i.e. when he was beating up Mary Billups and Marion Gaston. He said he went into a delirious tirade about how blacks were forcing him to murder other blacks as if that was somehow kind of like, make it okay. Like, it's black on black, so it's fine. It's not fine. Since all he ever knew since early in life was lawlessness, abandonment, rape, he was able to assimilate his sexual crimes in a way that providing to himself it was kind of like a job so that's why he robbed and carjacked everybody because hey i don't have a job you got it i'm gonna take it i don't need the work if i can get it from y'all while in prison um alton was diagnosed with obviously there's a list of things that he was diagnosed with for sure because we called that early on he was diagnosed with a mixed personality disorder He had antisocial and narcissistic obsessive features. He also had epileptic, 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 epileptic spasms, psychosis and borderline personality disorder. So, you know, that whole beast, it makes me, all I can think about is the bestiality, like from your, just your grandma, your mama. Your mama put you in a trash can like that's the type of life that just like set somebody up for failure like there. He had no other 
it's not like he had anything else to do, but he really had no path in life but to just be on some bullshit his whole life because he came into the world on a bunch of bullshit. So there was nothing left for him to do but just get to it. Like, he didn't know. He didn't know. He didn't know shit. And it's terrible. Um, Deborah was diagnosed with a borderline intellectually disabled with dependent personality disorder. So that's literally hand in hand with the other one. We said master slave. He literally told her what to do. And she did the shit. It was two mentally ill people together. Fucking up the world, ruining people's lives. And it's just like, how did he even find her? Like, where did he meet her at? That's the part that I never was able to look like where did you find her at like was she just like kicking that was she at the grocery store and you was in there buying a steak knife for your boots so you could kill somebody I'm, I don't know I, I'm gonna have to find that out because I really would like to know where did they meet I want to I really want to know what the conversation was but I, you know he did so I ain't gonna be able to get that but I want to know what was the tea with the meeting because that's just kind of like kismet that they even fucking met it was like it's like the perfect storm like that ass it was the perfect storm so like that's all the like information I really have about that there's probably more but you know I'm not trying to talk everybody head off but like it's really amazing how like we literally know nothing about them we know enough to compile information but we really don't know a lot but everybody in their goddamn mama know who Bonnie and Clyde is right they got tv shows they got movies they got paraphernalia they got lifetime everybody know who bonnie and clyde is people got pictures of bonnie and clyde in their goddamn house like it's a fucking trophy like oh yeah bonnie and clyde they killed everybody the fuck okay we also know about paul and carla in canada the ken and barbie killers they have several movies on lifetime several different things they was out here killing motherfuckers left and right we also know about the Lonely Heart Killers. A lot of people don't know, but I know. Lonely Heart Killers, it was people who was writing letters to almost like a pen pal company. They was getting lonely people, going in there, marrying them, stealing all their money and killing them after they damn made them fall in love. Child, that shit was wild as shit. But all these things are like readily available. They have movies. They have all these things. But nobody, nobody seems to know who Alton and Deborah was. And they was out here causing fucking havoc. And nobody knows who they are unless you're part of like true crime community. You don't know who they are. But every random Joe on the street, you ask him to name a serial killer couple, you already know they're going to be like Bonnie and Clyde. Why? Because they're fucking white. Carla and Bert, they're fucking white. They always want to glorify the white people serial killers and do all the shit, but then hashtag we kill people too. Like, and I hate to say it like that, but like, what about what about them two? Bonnie and Clyde got killed out in the goddamn street like some dogs. Laid the fuck out. They ain't even go to jail. Alton paid for his shit. He died. Deborah in jail now. She paying for her shit. But they laid out in the street. But let's talk about them because they were like amazing because they were fucking white people. Man. Anyway. Everybody was some serial killers. They were serial killers. And I just feel like I wish that they would get the same. They need to be held in infamy just like Bonnie and Clyde. 
it was probably 20 years after Bonnie and Clyde, 20, 30 years. But the fact of the matter is they still did the same shit and they did more than that. And they didn't get gunned down by the police. They went to jail. They paid. They got their restitution. But folk would rather be on the tip of somebody that got shot up in the street because they was young and they was white and they had cute clothes. Like, fuck out of here. They ain't even got no damn movie named about them. They ain't got no cool, like, moniker. Like, ooh, the Lonely Heart Killers. Ooh, the Jacksonville Strangler. Ooh, no. We don't even have none for Out in the Devil. And I can't even think of none because I was mad as shit when I was writing this and I couldn't even come up with a cute name. But it made me mad. And it should make you mad, too. So, if this doesn't make you upset, fuck it. But I will continue to make you think about it with the rest of these episodes because you're going to think about these people that they play off to the side like people aren't out here doing the same thing but we want to hold the white people in up in regards when they're literally probably doing less than Alton and Deborah because I'm going to go ahead and tell you Alton and Deborah was getting busy within them four three, three four months maybe two three weeks but y'all continue to be on Bonnie and Clyde's dick while I talk about Alton and Deborah so yeah, sorry, that's the end of my little tirade for the week. <laughs> Make sure you follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at In Killing Color. Make sure you follow my production company with my producer at It's The Sweet Talkers. My theme is by Remix Maniacs on SoundCloud. And all the research and shit was done by me because that's what I do. I will clock y'all next time. Bye.